mostly hat maker. Uh, I've been going to Emmanuel here for about three years now. Um, and for most of that time, I've also been involved with Overflow. Both Overflow and Emmanuel have been so instrumental in me coming to true faith in Christ. Um, it's pretty crazy to think about what my life was like at that time, even just what it would look like right now had I not encountered the Lord and all the incredible people that He had waiting for me here. I was just in a very broken place and a very confused place and um, had kind of come to this crossroads where I had a lot of questions about who I was and my identity and about who God was. Um, but <laughs> praise the Lord, He answers those questions. Um, he doesn't hide from us when we ask those things. Uh, he wants us to know who He is. But I think one of the coolest things that He's been showing me lately is just how securely I can rest in Him knowing who He is. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to be afraid of things. I don't have to be defined by um, how well I do things or by what my job is or by the people and the relationships in my life. As much as my head thought that it knew those things, uh, my, my heart couldn't understand those things apart from Jesus. Uh, but what was so cool is once I gave my life to Him, once I said, Jesus, just take it, He threw away all of the old, the bitterness and the spite and the pride and the selfishness and the insecurities and the wrong ideas that I had about what it meant to follow Jesus. Uh, he just stripped all of that away and made me into something new. And um, He said, this is who you are. You're a child of God, and that is enough. Amen. I love Ashley's testimony, and I love how it demonstrates what we're talking about in this teaching series, Principles for Living. There's, there comes a place, Ashley talked about it, where you give your life for, to Christ, and it's an, it's an incredible transforming moment. But then, that's not the end, that's actually really the beginning. And uh, some people, they think of it as the end. Okay, now when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. But their life isn't changed. They don't have the success that God wants them to have. They don't have the blessing that God wants them to have. Because they still, even though they know Christ, they still live using the principles of the world. And God's Word gives us another set of principles for living. Biblical principles that can absolutely change your life. We started this study two weeks ago, and we looked at the Joseph principles. Last week, we looked at the Moses principles. And this week, I want us to look at the Joshua principles. So turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then comes Joshua. Now, uh, Joshua is unique in all of the Bible because he transcends two different periods of time. And he and one other person are the only ones that have a foot in Egypt in the wilderness and a foot in the promised land. Nobody else made it through. What happened was when they left Egypt, uh, Joshua became Moses' assistant. He became his aide, and, and even more so than Aaron. Aaron's the high priest, but everywhere that Moses goes, Joshua goes. When Moses goes up Mount Sinai, Joshua goes halfway up. Moses is uh, protected by Joshua. Joshua's his bodyguard. He's his, he's his messenger. He's his confidant. And uh, Joshua is the guy, along with Caleb, who is sent with ten others 
into the promised land after they leave Egypt to spy out the land. And they spy out the land, and they come back, and ten of them say, oh man, the cities are walled, and they're huge, and the people are big. Oh, they're big, and we can't take them. And Joshua and Caleb are the only two guys that says, we can take them, God's given us the land. Well, because the people took the report of the ten, they rejected God's will for their lives, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And that entire generation that rejected God, they died. Not a one of them set foot in the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. And so these are unique guys, and Joshua becomes the leader. But I want you to think for a moment what it would be like following, as a leader, following Moses. Can you imagine what that would be like? Moses, the guy who spoke to God face to face. Moses, the guy who called down the ten plagues on Egypt. Moses, the one who put his staff over the Red Sea and they walked through dry land. Moses, the one who spoke to the rock and water gushed out. Moses, the one who provided manna. Moses is the one who went up and got the commandments from God. And now you're asked to follow Moses. It's an incredible thing. In fact, if you found Joshua chapter 1, just turn back one page to the last chapter of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 34. Here's the postscript on uh, Moses' life, beginning in verse 10. And there's not arisen a prophet since, he's talking about since Moses, in the Israel that was like Moses. Not one who knew the Lord face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all the land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. No one has ever been like Moses. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I, these are principles that I believe apply to all of us for living. And so here's what I want to ask you. Have you ever lost in your life a great person? Maybe that great person was your mom or your dad. Or maybe it was the person that led you to the Lord and who was a spiritual mentor in your life. Have you ever in your life lost a great person? And have you ever, did you find yourself in your grief and your sorrow a little bit lost? Like, well, what do I do next? And where do I go? And, and what is there for me now that this person is gone? Well, I think Joshua can be a prototype for you. And in Joshua chapter 1, if you'll turn that page back to Joshua chapter 1, here's what we discover. In verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to pause there a second, and I want you to feel this. There's no accolade. There's no eulogy. There's no... Moses was the best ever, like we just read, that somebody else had written in Deuteronomy. God just says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, that's all the accolade he gets, my servant is dead. That's it. That's all. And then he says to Joshua, Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land 
that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Here's the first principle that I want you to see this morning from Joshua. When death takes the great, the God who made them great is still working to accomplish the same great things. Uh, in my life, in the losses in my life, and I'm, uh, I'm old enough now that I, uh, I know a lot of people on the other side. People who were my Sunday school teachers, people who taught me the Bible, people who encouraged me, people who prayed with me, people who guided me, people who were accountability for me. I, I have lost a lot of what I would call great people. But here's what I discovered. These people aren't great in and of themselves. You understand that? Moses was watching sheep on the backside of the Midian desert. Moses wasn't great in and of himself. Moses was great because God made him great. Moses was great because of the holy God who lived in him, because he had a personal relationship with Yahweh. That's that's why Moses achieved greatness. And what I've come to understand is then that the God who made them great, even though he takes them home here on earth, is still accomplishing the same great work. And in fact, Moses didn't get to accomplish what God had for him. He never got to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. He led them out of Egypt, but not into the promised land. Joshua would do that work. But really, would it be Joshua that would do that work? Or would it be God? The phrase says, I am giving them this land. Moses didn't give them the promised land. God gave them the promised land. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling because of a loss in your life, or, or maybe uh, the loss didn't come by death, sometimes a spiritual loss comes like this. Some of you in this room, the person who led you to the Lord is no longer walking with the Lord. See, loss comes that way too. You, maybe you, be, you doubted at that moment. Whoa, well, is my salvation real? Do I, do I ha- is this God real? I mean, this person turned their back on God. Is my faith still real? And so losses come in different kinds of ways. But what God is saying to you is, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who walked with Moses, the God who walked with the Apostle Paul, the God who walked with Elijah, is the same God who walks with you. And he's still doing the same great work. He's still working through his church to lead people to the Lord and to grow them up. God is doing that work. In fact, it's good for us to realize that the work belongs to God. The church belongs to God. Do you understand this? We are the bride of Christ. And Jesus said about the church, I will build my church. We belong to him. If you start to doubt my leadership, I I want you to know, fundamentally, it's God who does the work. And so we we don't set our eyes on Moses. We don't fix our eyes on Moses as the author and the finisher of our faith. Please, please don't set your eyes on me as the author and finisher of your faith. That will disappoint you. We set our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the one who does the great work in our lives. And even as he did a great work in Moses' life, now He's going to do that in Joshua's life. We continue to read. He says to Joshua, he says, Now therefore go, arise, go over the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I, God, am giving them to the people of Israel. And he says in verse 3, 
Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given that to you just as I promised Moses. Here's the second Joshua principle. It's very close to the first, but it's got a little twist to it. Listen to it. The same God and the same promises will equal the same result with the same faith. The same God with the same promises. God never violates a promise. He's never unfaithful to us. Even when we're unfaithful to Him, even when we break our vows to Him, even when we break the covenant with Him, He's never unfaithful to us. And so the same God with the same promises will yield in our lives the same results of Peter, James, and John, of the Apostle Paul, of Moses, of Elijah, if we have the same faith. And and Joshua is faced with that at this moment. Now, if we had the time to read the whole book, what we discover is he's going to get the people of Israel, and he's going to lead them across the Jordan. And by the way, when Joshua leads them across the Jordan, the Jordan divides in half, and they walk through on dry ground. Why do you think that happened? Because God was showing them, it wasn't Moses. It wasn't Moses with his staff doing tricks. It's the power of the Almighty God. And he has chosen uh, for his leader, Joshua. And he affirms Joshua. And they walk through on dry ground and they go to the other side. And when they get to the other side now, they have to take this land. And remember the report? There's walled cities. There's huge people over there. And the very first city in their way is probably the biggest obstacle of all. It's Jericho. And Joshua chapter 6 tells the story about Jericho and how it happened. And archaeologists have found the walls. They've dug down, dug down, dug down. <coughs> they found these walls. In the time of Joshua, the, uh, Jericho had come up with a, a new plan. A lot of cities had walls, but they were little walls or maybe, you know, 6 or 10 feet high and maybe a couple feet thick. Not Jericho. Jericho had outer walls and inner walls. And the outer walls, it was said, were wide enough to drive a, a team of horses pulling a chariot on. These are, these are probably 12, 15, 20 feet wide, outer walls. And they protected the outer walls. But if the outer wall was ever breached, they had bridges where they ran back across a moat type thing to the inner wall. And then they would pull the bridges in. And, and so if you climbed, if you're, if you're the uh, one attacking uh, Jericho, and you climb, and you get, you get up on the outer wall, you get there just in time to whoop, get an arrow from the inner wall. It was ingenious. It was impregnable. No one could take it. All Jericho had to do was close up their walls, which the Scripture says they did. So Joshua, in Joshua chapter 6, he goes to God, and he goes, I... Here's Jericho, what do I do? And God says, here's the plan. I want you to get the marching band. So by the way, this is the first time in all of antiquity that a marching band is ever mentioned. Um, well, it, it, it says a band that marches. It's a marching band. Um, he says, I want you to walk around Jericho uh, six days in a row. One time around Jericho, six days in a row. And on the seventh day, you walk around seven times. And then the trumpets, that's, that's, that's really the marching band is led by the trumpet section. The trumpets will blow the long blast. Everybody will shout. The walls will fall down. And then everybody walks straight in. Now, Joshua gets that from God. Can you imagine? This is his first military campaign, his first leadership without Moses. 
He walks in, he gets all the generals, he gets all the military guys together, and they go, okay, man, Joshua, you got with God? Yeah, okay, what's the plan? Well, we're going to walk around with the marching band. Yeah, what's your other plan? I mean, you know, we've got some guys that can rappel down, and we've got some, you know, we've got some... We got our we got our seals, you know. We got our we got our special ops guys. Hey, Joshua, maybe we should go with those guys. Nope, we're going with the marching band plan. Can you imagine that moment? But what Joshua knows is the same God that led Moses, the same God who fulfills His promise, with the same faith, you always get the same result. God always wins. He always gives the victory. And so that's exactly what happens. They do what God tells them to do. And the, you know how the old, the old Negro spiritual goes? And the walls came tumbling down. And they walked right in. And after that, every single group in Canaan was afraid of them. And, and the scripture would say, uh, in fact, uh, here's the promise uh, it is to uh, Joshua. He says, uh, oh, I can't find it right there. Oh, here it is in verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Now, that's the prophecy in uh, Joshua 1. If you read the whole book, you get to the 24th chapter. Joshua never lost a battle. He was undefeated all the days of his life. Because the same God, who is the same yesterday and today and forever, with the same faith in him, yields the same result every time. Well, back in chapter 1, so here's how it goes. Uh, let's just start right there where I, uh, where I read that, verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses. I was the one who made Moses great, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. There it is in your Bible. It appears many times in your Bible, but here it is. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I don't have time to preach this this morning. But if you believe you can lose your salvation, you you are not standing on biblical foundation. Jesus says in all kinds of different ways and places, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, unless you sin really bad, right? No, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Of course we sin. He doesn't save us because we're going to be good. He saves us in spite of the fact that we're sinners. And he says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. So what happens next? Verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, when we're reading Scripture, when you're reading Scripture... And you, and you find yourself thinking, okay, what is this passage really about? Ask yourself, here's the first question to ask yourself, what is it that God repeats? If you read a, if you read a scripture and God says something more than once, 
If he says it three times in uh, three verses, well, four verses, six, seven, eight, and nine, maybe you should sit up and pay attention. So in this passage, we have one of those. We've discovered that God has a deep desire to see his children, not just Joshua. This is the inspired word of God for all of us this morning. God has a deep desire to see his children function in a particular fashion. What is that? It's it's weak and timid. It's strong and courageous. Say it with me. Strong and courageous. That's what God wants from you. That's what God desires for you. You see, we belong to the king. Our sins have been paid for. We've been bought with the price of the most precious one, the, the, the lamb of God, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We have reservations in heaven. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We, he moves to sanctify us. We're going to be glorified. There'll be a time when we live without sin in glorified bodies where there is no sin and no death. We have the victory that God intends for us. All of our needs are met according to those riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God never fails to fulfill a promise. And he says to us who belong to him, be strong and courageous. He says it to Joshua three times. He wants Joshua to get this. I know Moses is dead, but Moses didn't do those things. I did those things. I'm with you. I'm the God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's not just saying that to Joshua. He's saying it to you. Wherever you are in your battle, in your burden, the issues of your life, he's saying to you, be strong and courageous. Here's what I think those two words mean. The word strong, I think, identifies the inward characteristic of our lives, that we are resolute, that we, are, that we have certain strongly held convictions, that we believe the Word of God without reservation, without hesitation, that it, it owns us, that we don't just, we don't just uh, trust in God, but God has us, and we can be certain, we can be strong in the sense that He knows that about us. Now, in everyday life, uh, when we talk about a man and we say he's strong, we're usually talking about his physicality. But in everyday life in modern America, there is a phrase that we use, just like this Joshua phrase, but we use it about women. If somebody says, that woman is strong, they're not usually talking about the fact that she can lift a car. They're talking about her character. They're talking about the fact that maybe she's gone through this and this, maybe stuff with her family, maybe stuff economically or with money or with work or with her health. And they see her and they say, she's a strong woman. And we use that. Still still to this day, we use that phrase. And we're talking about the fiber of her being. We're not talking about how much she bench presses. And that's what Joshua 1 is about. It's talking about the fiber of your being, the essence of your soul. So many of us, we function with fear. We function with uh, doubt. We function with worry. We function with uncertainty. When it comes to spiritual things, we are overly cautious. We're not strong. We're weak. And so God says to us, it's my desire that you, since you belong to me, 
Since I will never leave you and forsake you. Since I'm the one who guided Moses and I guided Joshua and we've got everybody else on the list. Samuel and David and Elijah and everybody else all the way through. I can guide you. I'm looking for you to believe in me in a resolute fashion. To have convictions that hold you and you live them strongly and you don't compromise them. Strong is about his inner fiber. Courageous is about the stuff that comes outside. Courageous is the stuff that everybody else sees in Joshua. Courageous is when he acts in faith. He acts in faith because he has faith. His faith is strong, but he has to act in it. He's got to put a foot into the Jordan before it splits up and dries up. He's got to say, hey, you know what? Marching band's going to lead us and we're going to shout. That's the plan. He leads in a courageous fashion. It's, It's so that your faith is evident to the people around you in your life, and they can know whether they've ever talked to you or not. They say, she believes in Christ. He believes in Jesus. You can see it because he, she, lives a courageous life. This is what God wants for you. It's not God's desire that we are timid. In the New Testament, says God says, I did not give you a spirit of timidity or fear. God doesn't give that to you. I give you the Holy Spirit. I give you a spirit of power and of a sound mind. This is what God gives. And so if we live this hesitant, fearful, worrisome, timid lives, that's not from God. That's us using the principles of the flesh or the world and trying to live Christian lives with the old principles. So here God's saying, you're my children. You're royalty. You belong to me. I'm the king. I never fail. I came the first time. I'll come the second time. Be strong and courageous. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, okay, Paul, you convinced me. I mean, I want to be strong and courageous, but I, I, I have never been, and I don't think I know how to do it. The great thing about Scripture is that when God gives us the how to do it, in the same passage where he told us what to do. So in verse 6, he says, be strong and courageous. In verse 7, he says, be strong and courageous. In verse 9, he says, be strong and courageous. What does he say in verse 8? Right there in the middle of it. The only verse that doesn't say, be strong and courageous, says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Now remember, when Joshua is alive, uh, the Word of God, here's, I've got, here's my copy of the Word of God right here. I've got 66 books. Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1, he's only got five. He's got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's called the law. But God's talking to him about the Word of God. So if you'll allow me, I want to read it that way. This Word of the Lord shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Then you'll be able to do what I've commanded you Be strong and courageous. So here it is. 
We have the answer. It's right here in the middle of this repetition that God's doing. He says to you, I want you to be strong. Your soul. I want you to trust me. I don't want you to be uncertain or compromising. Be strong. And I want you to be courageous. And you say, oh, oh, okay, Lord, but I don't think I know how. He says, here's how. The key to becoming strong and courageous is found in immersing yourself in the Word of God. How does he describe it to Joshua? He says, uh, he says it, it should never depart from your mouth. So he's, he's reading it. He's quoting it all the time. He's memorizing it so he's got it. And then he says, and, and you should meditate on it. You, you should think about it. You should, you should contemplate it. You should study it. You should ask yourself questions about it. You should see if you can come to conclusions about it. You should look for principles in it that you can live by. That's what we're doing in this series right now. And when should you do that? Uh, Once a day for a couple of minutes? No, you should do it day and night. You should do it all the time without ceasing. Read it. Think about it. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. You should do it when you're by yourself. You should do it in a small group, a life group, where you can meet with other people and talk about it. You should do it with an accountability partner. You should do it in a large group where, where you're taught the Word of God. This should be the characteristic of your life. And if you immerse yourself in the Word, if you get to the place where you know the Word, and the Word's just not here, but it's here, strongly held in your heart, if you know what to do, and you know what God's Word says, then you will succeed. Then you will prosper. He's, he's not, and by the way, don't lay over uh, television theology on a Joshua 1 that was written uh, 1,200 years before Christ. He's not talking about you'll have more money. He's talking about God's blessing. He's talking about the favor of God. We saw the favor of God in the life of Joseph. We saw the favor of God in the life of Moses. Here's God telling Joshua, here's how you have my favor. But you don't get it if your Bible is covered with dust on the shelf at your house. If you got ready for church this morning and you thought to get your Bible, but then you also thought, I I don't really know where it's at. Not really fulfilling this, are you? If all you get from God's Word is what you get from me 30 minutes once a week, okay, 40 minutes once a week, but if that's all you get, I guarantee Satan's just kicking your behind most of the time. You're not strong. You're not courageous. You're not winning because you're not immersed in the Word of God. It's the Word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the Word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to accomplish His work in your life. And God wants this not just for Joshua. He wants it for you. And this is what we discover here in Joshua chapter 1. Well, uh, if we had time and we could read the whole book of Joshua, as you might surmise, there's a whole bunch more principles in the book of Joshua. But I don't have time for those. I want to take you to the last principle of the book. Go with me all the way to the very last chapter. We've looked at the first chapter of the book of Joshua. Now we're going to look at the last chapter. Now when we get to the last chapter, Joshua is old. And I want you to think about this. He's the oldest guy around. I mean, he was in Egypt. Nobody else was in Egypt. He was all 
40 years in the wilderness. Everybody else that was in the wilderness died, except for Caleb. Everybody else died. So all the rest of them were born sometime there. He was there the whole time. He walked with Moses. He was the only one who went with Moses everywhere he went. This this guy is really old. And if you read the whole book of Joshua, you'll discover he's undefeated. Every battle, every skirmish, every conflict, every war, he wins them all. And nobody else in Israel like Joshua. And now he calls them all together. And he knows, he's, he knows that he's very close to his heavenly reward. Here's what he says to him. I want to begin in verse 14. Last chapter, Joshua 24, verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. There's a sermon there I don't have time to preach. Here, let me give you the outline very quickly. It goes like this. If your faith isn't sincere, it's not real. If you have sincerity, but you don't have faith, you're just sincere, but you're sincerely wrong. You've got to have sincerity and faith. Okay, That's how the sermon goes. Keep reading. He says, put away the gods that your father served beyond the river. He's talking about the Jordan. And all the way back in Egypt and serve the Lord. Can you imagine all these years have passed and some of these families have passed down idols that they stole from Egypt. And even though Yahweh divided the Red Sea and provided manna and provided meat and provided water and took care of them and their, and their sandals never wore out and they never had to get new clothes for 40 years, they were still serving idols. It's incredible to believe, isn't it? He says, so put those away. And he says in verse 15, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. Now I want to confess something. When I was young, I, I thought this was a peculiar phrase. I thought, if, it, if it's evil, if it seems evil to serve the Lord, it didn't make any sense to me. But now I live in modern America where there are people in our country who think because of their own flawed morality that what we do right here is evil. You and I are narrow and hate-filled because we believe the Word of God. Isn't it crazy? But now I understand it. So he says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then here's what he says to them. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live and dwell. And here's what's underlined and marked in my Bible. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was the one who said that. Maybe you've seen it uh, above somebody's doorbell or when you've walked into somebody's house. But Joshua was the guy who said that. And here's the last principle that I have time to talk about this morning. There are times in our lives when you need to declare exactly who you are. There are times in our lives when we need to say, I belong to Jesus. I'm a Christian. I believe the Word of God. There are times in our lives where we need to declare that. Now, I'm not saying that you have to walk into the workplace every single morning and say, I'm here. I'm your local Christian. That probably is not going to serve you well. But by the same token, most of you, your problem is not that you're declaring who you are too often and and with the wrong tone and the wrong body language. Your problem is you don't ever declare it. 
Nobody at your work actually knows you're a Christian. When it comes to the principles of God's Word, you compromise them. You're not sure you believe in them. You push away from them if they're politically incorrect. And so Joshua 24 teaches us something, that there are times in our lives, I call them an Alamo moment. You, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Colonel Travis in the Alamo, they're going, they know what's going to happen. It's going to be terrible, and so he's only going to take volunteers, and he draws the line with the sword, and you've got to step across the line and say, this is where I make my stand. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a declaration that I belong to God. I believe the Word of God. He's called me to be strong and courageous. I believe in the Holy Spirit of God. I believe that God's returning. I believe He died for me. I believe He's the only way to heaven. These are declaration moments. And maybe it's just you and a friend having coffee. But he says, I I don't know if I really think Jesus is the only way. I think that's the time for you to say, I do. Do you see how that goes? There are times when we should declare who we are and maybe... Maybe better said this way, to declare to whom we belong. Do you belong to Christ? Have you given your life away to him? If you have, then you no longer belong to you. You don't get to decide stuff. You're not in management. You're bought with a price. You belong to him. You declare, I belong to him. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want to Uh, Joshua is how we say his name in English. But the Hebrews don't say the hard J, Joshua. They say like a Y. They say Yeshua. That's how they would say it in Hebrew. And the name Yeshua in Hebrew in the Greek is Jesus. So what is... What does God think of Joshua? How good a job did Joshua do when God the Father would pick out a name for his one and only son? He would pick out the name Jesus. Yahshua, Jesus means deliverer. Joshua delivered the children children of Israel into the promised land. And Jesus is the deliverer of our souls. Delivers us of our sins. And so in that holy and precious name, not Joshua, but Jesus, go and be strong and courageous. God bless you. You're dismissed.